This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Eric Bouchard. How you doing, Eric? Doing good. Eric is filling in for my usual co-host, Brian Rinaldi. Brian's out this week. Thanks for filling in, Eric. Now, Eric, you work for Solar City, and that is out in California, and it was started by some interesting guys. So why don't you fill us in a little bit about uh, who you are and what you're working on? Yeah, so... <laughs> As you said, you know, I work at SolarCity. Um, SolarCity was started by Lyndon Rive and Elon Musk, which is uh, who I'm assuming you were uh, suggesting. Um, now, Elon Musk didn't really come up with, uh, I mean, he came up with the idea for SolarCity. Actually, it was a weird story. Uh, him and Lyndon were on their way to Burning Man. Uh, this is the story that we get told anyways. And you know, Tesla had already been started, and it was, uh, in a way, an energy company, an electric car company, and L Lyndon was asking something along the lines of, you know, what can I do to, to, to help out in this mission, uh, so to speak? And they came up with the idea of, of, of solar, and, and particularly installing solar panels on rooftops. So uh, Elon is still the chairman of our board, and uh, if anyone's been watching the news, they'll probably uh, have heard of the the attempt to acquire solar city by Tesla um, I can't speak a lot to that but uh, what I can say is I you know Tesla's one of the reasons why I came to work at this company uh, Elon's one of the, the reasons Lyndon's one of the reasons you know this is just a, a great company and I feel like we're doing good work uh, here and it's it's something that you can go uh, going to work and, and feel like you're you're changing things a little bit I work particularly in the uh, software engineering department which is uh, you know, I I wasn't trained uh, in engineering. I'm a self-taught developer, but I was doing freelance in Florida. And uh, one day I got an email from one of their recruiters and asked if I would like to work out here. So I pretty much dropped everything, uh, relocated my family, uh, got a U-Haul, moved everything out. And so now we're living in Mountain View, uh, commuting to San Mateo to work at their headquarters uh, for Solar City, And, you know... W what I do day to day is model rate plans and, and utilities and try to show customers how they can save with solar. And that's pretty much what I do here. That's a, that's a cool space and it's really neat to see like the technology and stuff that's really getting involved in all these things like automotive and power and you name it. Like it, there's software development going on everywhere. Yeah, so the, one of the coolest things that I've done since I've been here is um, we, we model utilities and rate plans, uh, specifically in my department, so that we can show customers how they can save on solar. But uh, one of the cooler projects that I've worked on is working with, with Nest, and um, can't really talk fully about the entire project, but let's just say that uh, if you have a solar panel on your roof, or a solar system on your roof with solar panels, and you have Nest, then we should be able to leverage uh, the information about your rate plans and let you know when you're using electricity and if it's a good time to be using it and when it's not. And so being able to provide the data to them for that uh, just kind of makes me feel good and makes me feel like I'm helping people out and saving them money. Awesome. And um, 
we we're we're actually going to do a show together and sure. and we'll talk more in detail about some of the projects you're working on and um you know some of uh, the career choices that you've made to um find find this job that you have and you're enjoying uh, but today we're you're filling in for Brian, and Brian is the community manager for Progress uh, and Telerk Products. Big shoes and, to fill. Yeah, and he is uh, responsible for putting together this awesome uh, developer digest newsletter. And he grabs not only articles from our publications, but from around the web. And then uh, me and him generally go over those articles on the podcast and, and kind of give our opinions on things. So thanks for filling his shoes today and uh, looking forward to hearing your opinion on some of these topics that we have. Uh, so let's uh, kick things off with uh, the first article. Um, Maybe a familiar name if you've heard some of these Developer Digest shows before. Uh, Aurelio De Rosa is one of our uh, frequent um, contributors that we have on on the uh, the Developer Digest uh, newsletter. So he wrote an article that's talking about actually is a three part series that's talking about improving the quality of front-end projects automatically. And we covered one of these a few weeks ago, and um, he was talking about how to use uh, linters um, to work with JavaScript and um, and kind of weed out, like, code styles. Like, everybody can – or, you know, when you have several people on a team writing different pieces of JavaScript, uh, everybody kind of has their own style, right? So – um, he was talking about using um, enforcing style guides and stuff using automated tooling. And in this third part, he's talking about um, uh, more of that in, in enforcing code styles with JavaScript and uh, JSCS, which is uh, JavaScript uh, code style. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, he's also talking a little bit about accessibility uh, with another automated tool called uh, Tendon. So these are some really cool tools that he's outlining here, and each part deals with a different one. Um, the In the first series, he talked about uh, JavaScript and HTML, and then uh, the second part, he was talking about uh, uh, linting CSS and SAS. Um, and then finally, like uh, I was just mentioning, the JavaScript with the JSCS and um, accessibility. So these are all really interesting ways to automate those processes with a team. Um, you've ever had any experience with some of these linting tools, Eric? I have, you know, um, I'm not going to try and name them each, uh, individually, but, uh, you know, I kind of take them for granted sometimes and, and don't realize how, how much of a service they're providing to you until you get onto a project where maybe you're walking into a project and you're, you're spinning it up for the first time and you're realizing that they don't have any type of uh, linting tools in the project. Maybe it's a Node.js project or a, or, or a JavaScript project. Um, I think they really go a long way in making sure that, uh, you know, that all the developers on the team are, are uh, adhering to a certain convention. I'm a real stickler for making sure that, you know, all, all the cases are, are, are right and, and making sure that we name things correctly and uh, using certain conventions uh, throughout a, a team and just being consistent. You know, it's okay if we're using one convention on one team and another on, an, on another team, 
But I want to make sure that if, if I'm working on a code base with someone else, that, that, that we're all using the same convention and being consistent. Yeah, so I, I love them. Uh, I, I don't like working without them. And uh, I think sometimes I take them for granted. Yeah, a lot of us that are using Visual Studio kind of don't realize how much you know, handholding we're getting out of the box. Yeah. Uh, the compiler's doing a lot of work for you and you're getting, you know, underlines and squigglies and you can, you know, kind of right click on things or, or control period and kind of get like help filling in some blanks. Um, and then, you know, I've used tools with Visual Studio like JS Lint. Um, it, it does a lot better linting on its own now, but back in the day I'd use JS Lint uh, if I was writing some JavaScript in Visual Studio. So, most of the stuff that Aurelio's outlined here is um, is using uh, NPM and Grunt. And uh, so this would be more like for folks that are using like Visual Studio Code or uh, Sublime or one of those Absolutely. other editors. And um, there's some really awesome stuff in here. Like there's some tools that I haven't heard of before. Um, one that I'm going to have to check out is this Tendon for doing accessibility um, linting and and that one, I mean, you don't even get that in Visual Studio, so that that's going to be helpful no matter what you're working on. Uh, so it's definitely an awesome article to check out or series of articles to check out. Um, stuff that I need to go review again because uh, it looks like something I'd be interested in for sure. Yeah, I mean, we, when you're using Visual Studio, um, and, and like a lot of people have done over the years, they use Visual Studio for a long, long time, and then uh, you know, all of a sudden, we, we're given new tools like Atom and Visual uh, Studio Code, and we we start using those tools, and we we all of a sudden realize that oh, oh no, our hands not being held anymore, and that's the time whenever you need to when you step down from Visual Studio into Visual Studio Code, maybe you're uh, building an, uh, a TypeScript or an Angular project. And you're using uh, JavaScript, Gulp, NPM. Uh, yeah, that's the time to start learning about linters and figuring out what they can do for you and how they can help you out. Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> the next article is a bit of a departure from software development, but it, it was interesting. So we we included it in the newsletter, and it was written by one of our developer advocates uh, here at Progress uh, by the name of TJ Vantel. Um, he's a very um, smart guy that works on mostly our native script product, uh, product. and um, he does a great uh, job with the native script stuff. He's uh, one of the people behind the quick start guide, uh, excellent writer. Um, he wrote about uh, an interesting perspective here on advice for companies fighting ad blockers. So the, the gist of the article is, you know, these big publishing companies that uh, once relied, say, on magazine subscriptions and things like that um, are trying to cope with users that are visiting the site using ad blockers. And he lists out like several ways like people are trying to, or not people, but rather the, the companies are trying to um, ensure that their ad revenue doesn't go away. So uh, there's a couple ways they've done it. And one is like nagging the user, right? So yep. they detect your ad blocker and then they're like, Hey, you know, you're depriving us of money. We can't feed our families type of thing. <laughs> and then, um, you know, they're, they're asking you to turn it back on. And, and some of it's even throwing like FUD at you, like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Unfounded, you know, uh, 
just garbage information. Like it's going to make your your browser slower and it's going to make your experience worse when in fact it's doing the opposite. Um, and then it's there was another – yeah. It's making Go UX ahead. completely horrible um, for some websites, and there are some really huge websites that um, let's let's say you'll you'll link over to an article, and everyone's familiar with the three, you know, the, the show the ad, and then count down from five or three, two, one, you know, go to the article, continue on. And a lot of these sites will just not let you get past that screen and it will refresh over and over and over until you turn your ad blocker off or until you close the browser. So um, that's a very bad user experience. Um, we're not eventually getting to that, that uh, company's site and reading the article. And that's just something a lot of them need to revisit on, uh, you know, how, how is our site being viewed for people that have ad blocker turned on and how can we make it better? Um, I, I definitely agree. There's some really bad practices out there. The nagging uh, can be. Uh, I'd rather be nagged than just not than than be able to not access content. Yeah, some some of these uh, ad blockers can, like you said, break the site. Uh, that's really bad. Um, the other one is just kind of lying to your people and saying, you know, bad things will happen if you don't enable ads. Uh, and then there's, you know, some people try to take the high road, uh, and they're like, well, if we can't display an ad here, then we'll display a, uh, a call to action that says, well, subscribe to our magazine instead, uh, since you don't want to see the ads. Um, and then the, the final one was kind of like this empathy, like we use ad blockers too, but here's some other great things that we have that help drive revenue. So go check these out. So, you know, there's some positive ways that they can address this, uh, and then there's some obvious bad ways. Um, you know, personally, I don't use an ad blocker, and if if your ads are just that obnoxious, then I just don't visit your site. It's as simple as that. I'm not going to go through the effort to try to, you know, thwart your ads and, like, turn them off and skirt around them, but if you're ads are obnoxious and like you said they pop up and give you a countdown uh or they're interrupting you know how you read like if if i'm in the middle of reading something and, and there's a pop-up that just kind of like blacks out the screen and you know like some of them do that like fade to black thing have you seen those yeah i mean i've, I've seen everything i run an ad blocker 100 percent of the time so i've pretty much uh seen the gamut of of, of what can happen and and i'm 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 a real big uh, proponent of just if you if you have ads on your site, you need to have people running AdBlocker Plus whenever they're testing your site, and you need to make sure that you're providing a good user experience. However, you can do that, and also uh, being able to uh, show your uh, your advertisers' advertisements and and not short them out on on money that they're paying to get their advertisements shown. So I understand that part of it. I understand that this is you know this is money we're talking about. But um, you need to have a good ex user experience to go along with it. And I think that's the, the, the biggest takeaway from this is make sure that your site is not doing something funky. Yeah, and another thing like people discuss when they talk about ad blockers, uh, they're doing it because they don't like to be tracked, right? So what's your take on that? Because mine, mine's probably a little bit different from most people. Like I don't care. Like track me. Like track everything I do like on – yeah. Uh, my reading habits and uh, some of my shopping, I, I don't really care. I don't have stuff to hide. And 
like hopefully you'll serve me better ads by doing so like collect some data that makes the ads make sense please like i don't want to see you know ads for like fishing and boating like i'm not into that so you know give me some cool tech ads i don't mind if they're tasteful ads if they're in my face ads and they're not what i want to see i'm going to move on and read somewhere else so you have to go a long way to convince me that you're that you're going to take my information and and use it correctly and and not exploit me uh i I get i'm not necessarily of the same view as you but uh i definitely I definitely have uh, given some companies uh, the ability to track what I'm doing. Um, and the one time that I will never do it is whenever it affects perform- performance of my machine. Um, I've got certain games that I play with my son that w- we've noticed that if you turn that ability on, um, it, you know, it, it you lose performance. Now that's gaming. That's not that's not websites. But um, uh, I believe that some websites uh, can also that it can, can hinder the performance if you if you do that. I tend to to try and stay away from it unless it's a company that I really trust. So uh, I'm, I'm similar to you uh, when it comes to companies that I trust. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'd argue that if I don't trust the company, I'm not going to their site to begin with. I don't know. It's, <laughs> you know, everybody's going to have their own, you know, stance on it. I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just say, I'm saying my opinion's just different. Like I, I kind of came to the realization that big data is here and it's probably not going away. And if anything, it's just going to get more intrusive. So you know, I mean, we need- you, you got to understand what, what context you're operating in too. You know, my, my home computer is a lot different from my work computer, and and uh, so I definitely agree with you there. Um, when I'm on a when I'm at home, I can't really uh, regulate what's what's going on as much because my son or my wife will be using the computer. But um, uh, at work, I, I guess I, I'd fall more in line with with your line of thinking. Yeah, it probably context. definitely helps to have your own. Um, your own account on a computer. Like if you're sharing an account on a family PC, uh, Lord knows what kind of ads <laughs> you're going to be just getting spammed with. Cause I know my wife and I don't, you know, have all of the same interests. So like, I'm not going to want to see Dr. Phil ads. I'm not going to want to see lifetime network. Now, do you have I kids? Mean, yeah. You yeah. do have kids. How old are they? Uh, phew, too many to mention. We've okay, got, so, well, well, you know, <laughs> You know, one I have a I have a younger son, and uh, one reason why we share a, a Gmail account, or we'll share, I'll let him use that for YouTube and Gmail, is because I get to see everything that he's doing. So there, you know, there's there's that context, and uh, but yeah, absolutely, make sure you got different accounts. Yeah, yeah, it's monitoring kind of isn't good. Thing. Kids. <laughs> yeah. Also, you don't you don't want a bunch of like Minecraft ads. Well, maybe you do. I don't know, but I love uh, Minecraft, man. Come on, or Roblox, or Purple whatever. Space Program. SpongeBob and I'm there. Uh, one of the, one of the worst things I think is having um, some of the kids' networks on TV and seeing the ads that they feed kids. It's just that's a whole other podcast discussion, I think, right there. <laughs> so let's let's move on. Um, the the next one back in developer realm of discussion. Uh, we created, and when I say we, uh, Progress uh, and Telerik. Uh, we have a new site called ng migrate um, that uh, our developer advocate Todd Motto uh, he's known for uh, being an angular trainer um, and all-around good guy so Todd's created this um, resource for angular one uh, concepts and for angular 2 users and it's been kind of a pain point for angular 2 uh, migration 
where some of the things have changed, like Angular 1, Angular 2, vastly different. Uh, so he's gone through the effort of putting together guides on, you know, how to bootstrap your your application, uh, how modules and components work, and he's kind of drawing parallels between Angular 1 and Angular 2 to kind of, you know, get you over that mind gap between the two frameworks. Well, as an Angular 1x user, um, there's two people that I'm always going to trust when it comes to converting my code from 1x to, to 2. And it's uh, it's Todd Motto and John Papa. These guys wrote excellent style guides. They know what they're doing. Um, so I'm actually eager to check this out, although we have not converted any of our uh, 1x apps over into Angular 2 here at SolarCity, at least in my department. I know a few other people are uh, starting down that road. Uh, and I'm actually looking into Aurelia as well. So um, m during my day, I'll, I'll typically work on a little bit of Angular a little bit of Aurelia and C-sharp. So uh, I'm definitely going to check this out. Yeah, if you're like one of those folks that's like, uh, you know, jumped on React or Aurelia because maybe you thought, you know, learning Angular 2 was going to be hard and uh, it was too different from Angular 1, this might be a chance to go back and revisit that. And yeah, that's totally me. It's something <laughs> that you want to, you know, maybe give it a second thought um, or just, you know, kind of learn it because it's good for job security. Uh, and any way you look at it, it's a great resource. So that's ngmigrate.telerk.com if you guys want to check it out. Or go to developer.telerk.com and uh, look for the newsletter. You'll also find a link to it there. Absolutely. I'm, I'm marking that down. I'm, I'm noting it. Yeah, it's some good stuff. And uh, Todd's really a great... Um, He's, he really does a great job at explaining these uh, resources to people. So He's the I'm one guy that, that when, I, when I'm learning Angular, kind of can, can step down to, to my level and uh, explain it from, uh, I guess, a point where if you're new to Angular or if you're new to the, the new syntax or Angular 2, um, he's a great person to have uh, explain it for you. Him, uh, again, John Papa, all these guys uh, are, are great. They've, they've written these style guides. They really know what they're talking about, and they know how to uh, cater uh, their content to, to beginners, which I like. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, and the next, next article is uh, by... Mark Jones, and he's writing about how Kendo UI is used on Collab 365 SharePoint platform. And this article is really interesting to me uh, because I like articles that kind of dive into how to engineer something. And that's kind of the read that this is. Uh, he gives you kind of like the insight or case study into um, how he uses these two different platforms or a platform and then the UI tools from Kendo UI uh, to create a conference agenda that's really actually useful to conference attendees. And I, I used to run a conference, so I've got some skin in the game, so to speak. And, you know, creating a conference agenda that's digital is is actually kind of a pain. Like, Having one that does more than just list the, you know, like the schedule of the day uh, is actually kind of difficult. There's a lot of data there. Uh, most conferences that I go to, um, it's static. You know, you, you either look at it and it's got the entire day listed or you have to print it out or you have to go get a hard copy. Um, you know, they're, they're not usually intelligent uh, in 
I mean, like, I'm not putting conference organizers down and saying they're dumb, saying that the software itself isn't intelligent. Uh, the data is not intelligent. You can't uh, do more than maybe basic filtering on it. Um, and he's talking about, you know, uh, giving you, like, time-aware um, schedules and um, being able to customize a schedule for your, you know, and, and save that as a customized agenda for you. Um, and then he's using some of the Kendo UI components like uh, our scheduler control. And um, he's even using the charts and graphs to like show how many people are attending a certain session uh, throughout the day. So there's some really cool like um, points in there as to how he solved problems. And that's that's what I like about reading these type of things. And I'm, I'm very interested in, in this article as well, because uh, although I've never used Collab 365, uh, I, I do work for a company that uses SharePoint uh, that uses Office 365, which I'm assuming this is uh, a part of. And uh, we have a lot of events that seem like uh, we could benefit from from using something like this and being able to integrate one of the Telerik products, uh, which uh, you know, the scheduler and the uh, the events and, and the, the date pickers and all that kind of stuff is just, there, there's such valuable components. And, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I'll admit, I don't use a lot of, uh, Telerik products in my day to day, but, but those things I, I use a lot and I've used a lot in the past and to be able to integrate it with something like this seems like a no brainer. Yeah, it's, it's a great read. So again, if you haven't signed up for the newsletter, it's at developer.telerik.com. Uh, and when you click on the latest issue, you'll find a link to that article in there. Uh, it's an excellent like case study type of a you know article. Like we've highlighted on the show before, uh, we've had some great ones from the Native Script Engineering team, and uh, like how they've you know overcome problems with um, you know writing iOS and Android applications and and building the framework and all that. So there's some great stuff that we publish. Uh, in that regard on um, our newsletter. So so make sure you get on there, sign up for it, uh, so you can check these cool articles I out. I actually have been paying attention uh, to the newsletter, and, and one of the things that I've been getting into lately um, that I was kind of scared to get into was NativeScript. And I, I've i been very uh, pleased with, with what I'm finding. Uh, you know, one of the things that I love doing is writing JavaScript and uh, it's just there's so many uh, things out there that are making uh, you know writing for uh, iOS and Android a lot easier. Writing for desktop applications, something like Electron, and and I just you know I love Electron. I lo- I love uh, NativeScript uh, so far. What what I've learned about them, and yeah, man, you're converting me to a a, a Telerik user. Uh, I'm I'm starting to like all the all the new products and, and it's also bringing me back to some of the, you know, old products like Kindle UI that I, you know, maybe haven't used in a while and need to revisit. Yeah. With that said, um, we actually have a new event, uh, that we need to talk about real quick. Okay. And that is uh, native script developer day. So this is a brand new thing for us. And, um, it's a small conference that will be held in Boston in September uh, it'll be September 19th through the 20th. Uh, we're going to have lots of awesome speakers, many of which you've heard on this show. These are uh, progress developer advocates, um, uh, all of my coworkers pretty much. And they are giving sessions and workshops. And uh, it's brought to you at a very low price of $70. Uh, I'm just 
going out on a limb here and saying we're probably just covering costs. Um, you're not going to be able to, you know, find a conference for you know that kind of money. Um, and they're they're going to give you some really good insight onto uh, what native script is and how how to do certain things in it. And you're you're going to get that information like straight from the people that are you know working on the product. And uh, it's it looks like it's going to be a really great event. It's probably going to be a, quite a walking distance for you, Eric, because uh, it's <laughs> in Boston. <laughs> Uh, but if you're if you're nearby the Boston area or don't mind traveling, uh, check that out. It's developerday.nativescript.org, and uh, again, that's September nineteenth through the twentieth. Uh, if you're into native script or interested in it, it, is definitely worth checking out. Well, the good thing about not being a freelance developer anymore is I may be able to get my company to pay for something like that and fly me out there. Yeah, the excellent thing about it though is um, you know. If you're flying, that's one thing, you know, T&E's a little bit of a cost to absorb. But if you're in that Boston area or, you know, within driving distance and you're, you know, you're not working for a company that's willing to pay for uh, conference tickets, it's, it's 70 bucks. You know, that, I love that's that amazing. we kept it, you know, low, low price. Like I said, we're probably just covering costs on that one. Uh, because usually conference tickets are several hundred dollars, and if you're going to a big, big show like Build or something, you're you're in for two grand plus. Yeah. So good stuff. I've attended uh, online conferences that cost more than seventy dollars. So, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Exactly. Uh, so get out there, meet those folks, and um, you know, get to talk to the people uh, like like TJ Vantel, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, our developer advocate for Native Script will be there. Uh, Jen Looper, another one that many She's of you excellent. probably heard on the show. Yeah, just great, great people. Uh, we have a great team. Uh, that's one one benefit of uh, working on the developer relations team is just we have awesome people. So, anyways, uh, the next um, we have an article about the Git uh, CLI. It's a Git CLI reference for beginners by uh, another one of my coworkers, Sam Basu. Um, excellent uh, .NET guy and all-around developer, uh, and he's writing about um, you know those either new guy if you're new to Git or you're refreshing your memory on some of those basic Git commands. It's a good reference. Um, I use Git a lot. Uh, how about you, Eric? Well, I could have used this a, f a few weeks ago, actually probably about a month and a half ago. So I was a huge uh, Git user, and actually you kind of got me into Git. You, uh, you had mentioned to me for a talk that I was doing to try and structure my talk around using Git. Um, and it's something that I started doing, and it really got me involved in Git and starting to use Git on all my projects. And when I came to SolarCity, the team that I was uh, the team that I came into was not using Git. We were using TFS for probably about six months. And a few months ago, we decided to convert everything within about two weeks over to Git and using Bitbucket. And those doesn't really matter where, where you put it, but um, yeah. So I had I had forgotten a lot of the commands, and I was printing out sheets of paper and hanging them on my near my desk, and you know trying to remember all of the all of the commands that I could use, and uh, using the help command a lot. So something like this would have been very great for that. But yeah, I mean I use we use Git every single day, and uh, I'm even teaching my wife Git this week. 
she just started a C++ course, and she wants to be able to put her code online. Yeah, so uh, I'm a I'm a big proponent of using Git or some type of version control. If you're not using Git, you need to be using something. Yeah, so that that's actually an interesting point. That's how I got to learn Git. So I read this article, and I cannot remember for the life of me what it was called or the fine details of it. But the general idea was it was an article about um, as an interviewee, you know, what should you ask about, you know, potential job uh, or potential employer. And it was like these seven things, I think it was, that the uh, developers should be using. And if they're not, you you don't want to work there anyway. And it was like, um, you know, it, are they using version control? And if so, what kind was one of the questions. And I was like, well, I started looking and I was like, well, everybody's using, you know, Git, it looks like, on, you know, online, you know, Git was really blowing up or GitHub anyway. So I was like, what is this Git thing everybody's talking about? I'm, you know, I've seen TFS and SVN and some of the other ones. So I started reading about it that way. And then I was like, oh, this is actually really fast and easy to use. So like you were talking about, I started using it in presentations and uh, I, you know, I've had plenty of code demo fails in my life and I wanted to find a way to do less of that. <laughs> so when I'm giving a talk, I write bits of code and then check them in and at different stages. So if I'm giving a presentation and, uh, you know, I've got five lines of code to write, I might you know, write those and then commit it. And then, you know, the rest of the talk goes on and I'm adding to that code and I'll commit various steps along the way. So if something fails during my presentation, I can just either advance to the next branch or, you know, people might ask a question that was way earlier in the talk than, you know, when I'm finished with the talk. So I can just go back to the, you know, originating branch and uh, you know, walk through something with somebody that had a detailed question. So there's like a lot of uses for Git just outside of your normal, you know, day-to-day -day, uh, business stuff. But uh, anyway, great, great little reference there. Um, good stuff to know. <laughs> yes, I, I remember whenever uh, you were telling me about this and, and you couldn't remember the name of the article either. So if you ever do find that article, please let me know because uh, I'd like to share it with other people. Maybe we can share it with people on the show. Yeah, if I find that, I'll put it in the show notes. But I mean, this or was we could rewrite probably it. five years ago. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so not going to find I'll, that. I'll have, to, I'll have to rack my brain a little bit and see if I can find that one, dig it up. Uh, next, we get uh, an, an, an article I didn't know I was going to enjoy as much as I did. So the always insightful Burke Holland um, had a great uh, article called uh, Taking to Do MVC for Granted. And by the title, I kind of misjudged it. I didn't know exactly where he was going with this. But before I read it, I was like, you know, I... I just don't like to do MVC. Like I don't like to do projects. So, I mean, I know you've probably done some, I think every developer's done some Eric, but uh, what do you feel about to do projects? So like, are, you, are you talking about explain, the explain like to do projects? Well, yeah, first? So the to do MVC project that I remember was uh, a web page that had uh, a simple to do app in MVC in several different languages. 
And basically, you could uh, easily step into any of these different languages and get a good grasp on how, uh, how you might work in that language in an MVC context. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Yeah, in a front-end development MVC, not like a back-end yeah. like .NET or Rails MVC. Yeah, so yeah, JavaScript, Python, um, just anything that you can think of that, that would be a front-end uh, scripting Backbone, language. Angular, yep. all those things. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of like how to do a task list app in in all of these various languages and my major beef with it was always like i don't know it's it's so basic and not practical yeah not practical rudimentary and and i'm not trying to like be a big shot or something like usually i like baby steps to get into something new but for some reason this one always struck me as like i don't know like nonsensical like to add things to a list remove things from a list and save state so you know, to me, it wasn't really that useful. But then I started reading Todd's, or sorry, um, Burke's article, and he's talking about how he was going through this uh, to-do uh, thing using Native Script, and he started running into, you know, problems he had to solve, and it actually helped him figure out all of these different aspects of uh, why the UI wasn't updating when he thought it would, and you know, how it taught him about observables and he actually, you know, needed to go use the documentation to see what was going on. So it actually did help him. So, so he proved me wrong is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I can, <laughs> I can definitely see that. Um, I have, I have used the old, the old to do MVC app and, um, and I did learn something from it. I, you know, I thought the same thing uh, when, when getting into it, but I definitely uh, took something away from that when when trying to learn JavaScript and, and front-end MVC. So, yeah, I, I'd probably agree with Burke. Yeah, and I, I will have to say it is hard to figure out uh, if you're trying to learn a new front-end utility or framework. It, it's hard to, like, come up with a sample app on your own, just like, I, I need to build something. What am I going to build? And frankly a to-do like task list fits the bill most of the time um it's just sure. maybe you know maybe it just gets a little old doing that over and over again uh, I, th- but I think a good exercise again, oh sorry go ahead yeah i was just gonna say then again what else what else is there so <laughs> well a good exercise might be to to start one of these to-do uh mvc applications uh and use it as a jumping off point for trying to create something different out of it uh, you can probably learn a lot doing that as well yeah, I like what we did on native script and I'm not just saying that because I work for progress and native scripts are thing, but uh TJ essentially did a to-do style app, but it's not just a to-do. It's he did a grocery, you know, grocery uh, you know, list for making your sure. you know, grocery list to go to the store. So, I mean, it's not completely different. It's the same concept. It's yeah. really just a list, but at least it was something with a little more pizzazz than <laughs> just a you know task list. So good stuff. Um, Burke proved me wrong as as usual. So you know he'll start on something and I'm I'm not quite following. Then it's like by the time he's finished explaining, I'm like ah. Oh. <laughs> yes. He has a habit of doing that. Um, if you haven't met uh, Burke before, um, excellent speaker. Excellent I haven't met him, but I'm very familiar with him and with his work. And yeah, yeah, you you tend to believe this guy. He he <laughs> he has the credentials. 
He also happens to be my boss, so there's that. There you go. <laughs> um, and then one one shameless plug before we wrap up. Uh, we did an uh, an amazing podcast last last week. Uh, I had Julie Learman on the show. Uh, if you don't know Julie, she is a entity framework expert uh, for the .NET ecosystem. Uh, but we did not talk about .NET. Uh, which may be a surprise to some. And if you're not a fan of .NET, then this is a perfect show to listen to because we don't talk about .NET. Uh, we decided to talk about soft skills and you know what it what it is to be a developer, what kind of mindset you have to be in. Um, and Julie has an amazing you know experience uh, track record. She's been a developer for uh, nearly 30 years, and she's got a lot of wisdom to share and it was a great great recording so if you haven't had a chance to check that out go back and listen to it uh again you know julie's just fantastic so i'm really eager to check that show out absolutely um you know soft skills i believe that's what got me my job yeah soft skills i mean you gotta you gotta get out there and uh, you know, know what people are hiring for and how to be part of the team that you're going to be hired for and know how to market yourself in general. I mean, know that your skills are valuable and not everybody's perspective on something is going to be the same. You you have something unique to offer. And uh, I think th- there's a little bit of that in the podcast that we did and then a whole lot more. So definitely worth checking out and uh, we'll we'll go ahead and wrap things up eric i really appreciate you hopping in for brian brian is busy uh with a lot of stuff these days and um probably have some folks filling in for him for just a few more weeks until he comes back so thanks a lot eric absolutely um i can't wait to come back And uh, with that, uh, I just want to say we are trying to improve the show, so please stop by developer.telerik.com slash survey. Uh, We're collecting feedback from our amazing audience, and we're looking to make the show better, so let us know if you're enjoying our guests and our sound quality, all those things. Uh, We're looking for feedback, so developer.telerik.com slash survey. Eric, thanks again, man. And we'll talk to everyone later. Thank you.